I don't know about you, but as we transition into the scripture and we look at Acts in Acts, as we go through this, a lot of times we, we go through this portion of Scripture and we say, this is a wonderful event. Um, we see how, uh, we just see a few things. Um, Paul is just continuing, but we don't really see some, some of the key things that we get lost here that I want us to really focus on today, and that is the importance of being true to Scripture. Um, it is piggybacking. Now, we see that Scripture is so important because it helps us deal with false teaching. And that's we're going to learn more about that at this training time. But also, it deals with our conscience. And the problem is that so many times we deal with conscience and we deal with our integrity in life based on a horizontal level and based on the people around us. We look at our society and we say, well, I have a clear conscience because I'm not like them. Or we look at even in the church and we say, well, I'm better than others because of how long I've done this and I've done that and I know this and they, they don't have a grasp of this. And so our conscience many times is focused on horizontal things. And this morning I want you to zero in on verses 14 and 16 and, uh, and look at some really amazing truth that is there. One of the things I noticed as I've grown up working on houses, uh, I realized real quickly that when a house is not true, when it's not put together with all everything true to itself, and it's not square, it really makes everything difficult. Um, <laughs> That's why when I was building a foundation for the first time, I failed my inspection four times. The guy just looked at me the first time and just smiled. And he just put failed and gave it to me. He says, okay, call me when you think you're ready. And I was like, and I was horrified. And I began to read all of the things. Not true, um, not square, not, you know, all of these things, and I was like, okay, so there's things that are really important when we're talking about building and building on it. And the inspector was sitting there telling me, he's like, look, son, if you don't do this and you don't take the time to redo it the right way, this actually was a fourplex that we were building. It, was, it wasn't just a house. He says, nothing will work right over time. The doors are going to creak. The doors are not going to shut. The windows will eventually move and you won't be able to open them. And things are going to really be a problem for whoever lives in this house. You have got to get the measurements right in this foundation. And that really translates over into what we're talking about today because we are going to be facing many different trials in our life when we choose to identify with Christ that sets us apart and puts a huge target on not just our back, but on our front and on the sides. We're, all, we're just one big target that everybody can hit. And what are you going to do with that kind of pressure? How do you respond? Or will you just react? Because being true and, having, and being, doing everything according to what is true in the foundation of our life is so important. And we, we get that in this text. 
So would you pray with me and let's read it and then run through it. Lord, I just pray that you will remove the distractions of the day, the different things that are going on and that aren't going on. And, and Lord, in, in our minds of all the things that we have to do, and Lord, would we give full attention to your holy word. Lord, that we would get past my words and that we would, Lord, focus on your holy word. And we ask that we would honor you and that your spirit would teach us today. Thank you that you give us understanding. You help us to learn. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that and lift our hearts, our minds, and our spirit and that we might learn more about you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Starting in verse 1, and let's read through this chapter and then see what we can discover as some pretty important truths for us. It says, by the way, and just in by word, going back to chapter 23, Paul has been accused of a few things. He has been grabbed by uh, all the Jewish leaders and they were going to kill him, but some Romans stepped in because they realized that Paul wasn't just a Jew, but he was a Roman. And because of that, they, they saved him from being beaten to death. And now he's going to be going and to stand trial for, and because of a lot of different accusations that they're making towards him. And, some, and a lot of them are false. But how does Paul handle that? And that's where we, we start is in verse 1 of chapter 24. And they're getting ready to try Paul. And it says, After five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders, uh, basically some Jewish leaders, and a spokesman, by the way, that means lawyer. This is a lawyer. <laughs> and, uh, and a spokesman, one Tertullius, they laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he, they had summoned Tertullius, began to accuse Paul, saying, Since through you we enjoy much peace, and since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. So basically, Tertullius is sucking up to the governor before he begins, begins to lay all the accusations against Paul. And it goes down in verse 4, it says, But to detain you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, who has stirred up riots among the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. And when the governor had nodded to Paul to speak, Paul replied, Knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. Now, that's not something you hear often, right? I cheerfully make my defense. I was summoned and had to uh, meet before an arbiter and and I had to give a deputation of my statements once in my life. I can tell you, it wasn't a pleasant event. It wasn't cheerful. And 
I'm looking at this and I'm thinking he was cheerful. Well, it's because of what he had to say, I believe in my heart, of why he was cheerful. And it's interesting. Listen to what he uh, continues to say as he makes his defense. Verse 11, you can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. And they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd either in the temple or in the synagogue or in the city. Neither can they prove to you that they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, basically according to Christ, according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets. Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me, found me purified in the temple without any crowds or tumult, but some Jews from Asia... They ought to be here before you and to make, an, to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council. Other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias, the tribune, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, and who also was a Jew, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And after he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. So he was hoping that Paul would buy his way out. And when two years had elapsed, two years had gone by, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. It's quite an event in Paul's life, going on trial. Here are are the, the, the players that we see. We have the Jewish leaders. We have Ananias, the, the chief priest. By the way, uh, uh, Paul didn't, uh, when he was standing before the council, he calls out the, the chief priest. They didn't like it, so they hit him. And Paul gets a little upset about that. Why are you hitting me? And he actually apologizes for speaking a little too brashly against the, the, the high priest, Ananias. 
And it's interesting to see as we go through all this, but so we have Ananias. We have the other Jewish leaders, specifically the Pharisees, who are trying to kill Paul. And then you have the lawyer that's there. That's, you notice he's buttering up the governor. He's, flat, he's saying words of flattery, and, and what's interesting, because then you have the governor, Felix. By the way, did you know Governor Felix grew up as a slave? He was a slave that basically somehow was able to marry the granddaughter of Cleopatra. He married his way into power. And, and after, he, after a while, he then married one of uh, King Agrippa's daughters. And that's um, the one daughter that, or the, his wife that he's talking about here, Drusilla. And so he married his way into power. But he was a former slave. She was a Jew. They knew, he knew about what was going on. He had a real interesting knowledge. And can you imagine, they are trying to butter up somebody that came from the very bottom, but now is a governor in Israel. It's pretty interesting. So what we have here is Tertullius presents his shaky case against Paul. Uh, Nearly half of his speech is just trying to win over Felix. That's it. The three charges were this, that Paul was literally a plague, a disease that was spreading amongst the Jewish empire. The second was that he was a ringleader. And this was a play to the Romans to say, look, he's a ringleader who's not even following after Roman law or Roman, a legitimate Roman religious part of the Roman government. And for that grounds, you should kill him. That's what he was literally doing when he was making that accusation. The third thing was is that he tried to make an accusation that they, he had disrupted the temple life. And actually it was in law that if they could just get Felix to say, yes, he did that third thing that he accused him of, of disrupting the, the temple. And when they say def, uh, you know, defrauding the temple, what they were talking about is bringing Gentiles into the temple. Because they assumed that Timothy was a Gentile. But he also had a Jewish relative or a Jewish mother. So here's the thing. So he had one parent that was Jew, one that was Greek. And so there was all of these different things that were in play. And so they were accusing him of some pretty heavy things. Because if two of these carried the death penalty, the third one would allow a Roman citizen. This is how serious the third charge was. Any Roman citizen caught basically in defrauding the temple of Israel could be put to death by the Jews, They, even though he was a Roman citizen. So they had done their homework. They had found every loophole they could to try to force Paul's death. If you go back to chapter 23, you would see that the Roman centurions actually sent hundreds of guards with Paul because he knew that the Jews were going to try to kill him on the way to meet the governor because the governor didn't stay in Jerusalem. He was at Caesarea Philippi because it's hot in Jerusalem. Caesarea Philippi is by the coast with the nice coastal breeze. So there are a lot of lies that are happening But through this, 
Paul and the Holy Spirit gives us some amazing things for us to know, some truths. A very poignant question for us to ask about how does the church grow and how does the church deal with this kind of persecution? False accusations, slander, misconceptions, persecution, outright lies being told about you. How do you deal with this? And I think, and I believe that the the secret to all of this is what he confesses to in verses 14, 15, 16. And that it's about his conscience. And that's a question that we should ask ourselves. Are we maintaining a good conscience before God and man? And are you practicing this daily? That's a question that we should be asking. How do we remain true? How do we keep this building that God is growing, not, the, not this building physically, but the body of Christ? How do we keep building on to the body of Christ in a way that is true and correct so then that way it grows properly, even in the midst of such persecution, such pressure, such hardships? That's a good question to ask. How do you maintain a good conscience? And Paul gives us three important truths here in the text. And he said this in verse 14, But I confess to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything that's laid down by the law and written by the prophets. He just described the Old Testament what we would say is the Old Testament. What's interesting, he says, so I always take pains to have a clear conscience. That's that question I'm asking. Are we taking the same pains that Paul is to maintain a good conscience before God and before man? And are we practicing that? Here's what I mean in order to live, this is what I believe that the scripture is saying here, according to live, according to a blameless conscience. In light of the scripture, in light of the return of Christ, and in light of the coming judgment, we need to examine our hearts, just like we did this morning with communion, and see if there is any sin, thought, word, deed that we have not confessed and turned from. And if there is any person that we have wronged, And if there is, is, we should do everything we can to make that right before God and before man. That's what it means to live with a clear conscience. The first thing, in order to live with a clear conscience, Paul gives the first truth, and that is we train our conscience by God's word. He did it according to God's word. Number one, verse 14, it tells us that everything that has been laid down according to the law and the prophets... We train our conscience. When in Hebrew or in uh, Romans 12, he, he, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that our conscience is changed not according to the world, but according to our life that we gave to the Lord, according to His life in which He died for us on the cross. We train our conscience by the Word of God. This is so important. This is what led to Paul listening to all of these things. This is what Paul led Paul to share the gospel to everybody that was there. 
This is what led Paul to be the missionary that he was, to, to be the man of God that God wanted, is that he trained his conscience according to God's word. In John 16, 2, Jesus said this, that, that the disciples, that one day that people, men of, that were supposed to be men of God, would come to destroy you, and they thought that they would do it according to God's word, but they weren't. They were doing it according to their own self. The Jews thought they were following God when they were trying to kill the disciples. They, Paul, when he was Saul, thought he was God's man. But it reveals a problem, and here's the problem. If we compare ourselves with others rather than with Scripture, we're always going to come out okay. We have to compare our life to God's Word. Otherwise, we just end up like the the Pharisees and Sadducees. Psalm 119 is such a, a big big chapter that's so important. It says in very verse 1, blessed or perfect happiness are those whose way is blameless, who has a pure conscience, whose walk, who walk in the law of the Lord. If you walk in the law of the Lord, you are going to have a blameless way, a clear conscience. In fact, in verse 9, it says in Psalm 119, by how does a young man keep his way pure? How do you, young men, how do, young people, how do you keep your way successful? Church, how do we keep our way successful? By guarding it, our way, our life, according to God's word. Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. There is, folks, God's word is the most important thing for us in dealing with our conscience in our lives. How does the Holy Spirit control our life? How, does, how do we give control of the Holy Spirit to live in our life, to be the power source in our life? It's through the word of God that we understand all of these things. Hebrews 4.12 says in verse 12 and 13, it says, And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eye of him who we must give an account. And it says, all because of the word of God. The word of God exposes everything in our life. And it shows what actually is against our conscience. If we only live our lives according to the outward expectation of men, then we'll just be hypocrites. Our life, we need to dig down deep in the scripture and let it be our conscience. It's the only thing that can dig into our heart and reveal what needs to change. In fact, Jesus went so far in Mark chapter 7 to say that all sin begins in the heart. Every problem we will have in our life begins in the heart. That's why we have to give the word of God such a priority. How can we build true and straight? How does the church build according to what is true and straight? So as we keep building, we do it with a clear conscience before God and man. We do it through the word of God. Secondly is the return of Christ motivates a life 
of integrity. Paul was in, in where he was because of the resurrection of Christ and looking forward to his return to, to judge both the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you know if you focus on the return of Christ, it will change the way you view your life? God is coming back someday. How will he find you? Right? I'll tell you what, that single question deters many from sin. Because at any moment, Christ could return. And if he does, and, and where are you going to be? What are you going to be doing? What are you going to be thinking? What, what are you going to be holding against somebody else in your life? Can you imagine that? When the one who died on the cross for your sins that we're celebrating this morning on the cross that took your sin to the cross and you are holding a grudge against somebody and he returns and he knows that's in your heart and he reveals it to you. When there is no eternity in your mindset and when you're not focused on Christ's return, then we live for only the immediate pleasure. A lot of problems in the church is because we aren't thinking eternally. We're not thinking about that Christ is coming back and He says He's going to return soon. Be ready. There's a lot of debate on when exactly all that's going to take place. We just know that there, it is according to God's sovereignty, His will that no man knows the time or the place, we can be prepared for it mentally. I love what we read in Philippians 3.8, that Paul was mentally preparing himself for Christ's return. In fact, that was all he was thinking about. How did Paul deal with what he was going through? Because his only mindset was the return of Christ. I want to be found in him. I want, to, I want to focus on the resurrection. Forgetting all that is behind, but pressing towards the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, my Lord, he says in Philippians 3. One day God will raise every single person. One day you will stand before him. You're going to have, if you, if you don't repent now, then you're going to have hell to pay later. Literally. Trust in Christ as your Savior. Live all of your life with, bl uh, with a blame, blameless conscience. How do you do that? By focusing on the resurrection and His return. The third thing is this, is remember circumstances, be whatever they are, are not what they seem. What you see in your circumstances are right now are not, I guarantee is not what they seem. Can you imagine? Did you get in verse 27 that I read at the very end there? It says, And in two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by another governor. Two years, he's still in prison. Two years, he's still been sharing the gospel. You know how I know that? Can you imagine how most of us would feel if you were wrongly in prison? and you were there under false pretenses, and people are trying to kill you? I mean, think about the outcry. I mean, Paul is the greatest missionary known to man. 
except for maybe Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, and a bunch of them. But, but at the time, he was the greatest missionary of all time, right? He, he could have started many churches, and how many churches could he have started in those two years? How about millions? Let me tell you why. When you first look at verse 27, it's like, man, what a waste for Paul to be in prison for two years for false accusations. But think about it. If you look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13, you begin to understand something. He said this to the church in Philippi, and he's saying it to us as well through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard. By the way, when he, we reading this, this is when he was in prison with at the governor's palace. The whole palace guard. He had a chance to share the gospel with all of his guards. All the palace guards. That's pretty amazing. By the way, he didn't just say that. Did you know that during this time, these two years, he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. I think he had a pretty productive jail time, don't you think? Think about it. These epistles that through the power of the Holy Spirit that God used Paul to write. He says, oh, Paul, I want you to have a two-year sabbatical. It just happens to be in prison. You're going to write all of these, these epistles so that way church planners from years to come are going to use to establish my church all over the world. Isn't that pretty amazing? what God did. At first glance, it's like, it's, it's a pretty sad state for Paul. But you see, Paul didn't focus on his circumstances. He was focused on the resurrection. He was focused on God's word. That, that begs another question. How short-sighted are we? Are we too focused on our circumstances? Or are we focused on Christ? Do you long for Christ? Are you focused on being short-sighted or are you playing the long game? I always ask that of people. I've had now a total of seven young men come and ask to date my daughter. Not this one, the other one. We shipped her off to Israel. (laughs) Making it hard for the newest guy. So... uh, (laughs) Yeah, and I've had seven guys, and I always ask this question. I said, uh, are you in it for the short gain or the long gain? And they're like, what do you mean? I was like, do you want a friend for life, or do you just want to use her and set her aside? And they're like, and that takes every single one of them is taken back, except for this one. This guy's a little bit different. I got a lot more work cut out for me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so he's going to be here next year, so... We'll introduce him if things keep progressing, (laughs) if it's according to God's will. But here's the thing. Do you have a short game or a long game? Are you focused on the return of Christ? Are you more concerned 
about the gospel and the return of Christ than you are about whatever's going on right now. Because if you're more concerned about what's going on right now, you will not build a true square building for Christ. Your life will be a bunch of zigzags that don't fit in God's body. It'll, it'll make things so much more difficult. And that's what I want you to, re- as you look at this, is are you so focused on now or are you focused on Christ's return? There's a whole host of old hymns and new hymns. You know, soon and very soon, we're going to meet the king. I don't know about you, but I know the king now. Knowing the king now changes the way I live now. Are you living in light of, the king, of, of Christ, your king, now? Or are you living in light of the world Where are you at? Because Christ is coming. You will have to pay for your sins. If you have not confessed Christ, you will pay for eternity with your life. Or you can call upon the name of the Lord now and Christ pays for your life. That was always God's plan. Right from Genesis was our salvation according to Christ. Faith in Christ. It's all about Faith in Christ. It's all about the scripture. How do you maintain a clear conscience? Focus on the scripture, not your circumstances. Focus on the return of Christ, not your circumstances. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful day. It's not wonderful because it's sunny. It's wonderful because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that one day every knee will bow and confess that you are Lord. And I pray, Lord, that if there is someone here that has not done that, they would do that now. I beg that, Lord, you would use the power of your spirit to prick their heart to confess that you are Lord. And that their heart would bow before you and call upon you for the salvation of their soul. Lord, that they would confess with their mouth that they give their life to you because you gave your life for us. Lord, I pray that we would be found in you as a church body, that our whole goal, our whole focus would be found in you. Lord, it may not be found in the circumstances of the day. Lord, I love the way you do everything. It's amazing how you plan even our disasters with water. You've given us free tile to tile the whole church. You've given us so many different things, but we didn't know what to do with it, but you knew what to do with it. Lord, you have plans for all sorts of things. Our circumstances never are what they seem. May, Lord, we remember that and focus on Christ. In Jesus' name we pray.